we are live on another episode of the Canine Performance Podcast with your hosts, Matt and Natalie. And today, what are we talking about, Natalie? We are going to be talking about the fifth and final pillar of dog training, which is going to be relationship and leadership. We have previously in our other podcast episodes talked about timing, motivation, consistency, and clear communication. And so now we are going to be talking about one of the most important pillars of dog training, which is relationship and leadership. And why is relationship and leadership one of the most important pillars? Well, we're going to find out now, aren't we? Oh my, I guess we are. Well, maybe real quickly before we jump into the fifth and potentially most important pillar, give us a quick recap on the previous four pillars. Awesome. So we talked about timing and how timing is crucial in dog training and how there is a very small window that dogs can correlate if their behavior is appropriate or inappropriate. And we need to reward or correct that behavior within 1.3 seconds. Very, very small window that we have the opportunity to teach our dogs. We talked about motivation, the different types of motivation how to motivate your dog and why motivation in dog training is important. We talked about consistency and how that is the key to dog training. And without consistency, we will see a regression of behaviors and we'll get all of those poor behaviors back. Then we talked about clear communication and why that's important, how to do it, um, and all of the different reasons and science that go behind clear communication when it comes to communicating with our dogs, who is a different species than us. They require a different set of rules of communication. And now we are going to be talking about relationship and leadership. Wow. Well, it's been a wild ride over the past week. And if you've listened to any of the podcasts, we truly appreciate it. So without further ado, let's kick off the final pillar of dog training, relationship and leadership. Take it away, Natalie. Awesome. I'm really, really excited to be talking about this. While I have said before that it does not matter the order that I have talked about the five pillars of dog training because they are all interdependent upon each other. I do feel like this is one of the more important, not more than more important. I feel like this is a foundation of dog training. If you don't have this, but you do have the other pillars, you can successfully train your dog. However, it's not going to be to the level that you would probably want them to be trained. So I feel like this is the most foundational work that you can do with your dog. And so first we need to understand why this is important and how it's different because the human to canine relationship and the canine to the human relationship, they're thought about in different ways. So for example, um, for humans, we feel like our dogs belong to us, right? You know, they live with us, we feed them, we take care of them. We almost feel like they intrinsically owe us loyalty because of that. And so we have certain expectations from them. However, dogs on the other hand, think about humans completely different. They don't know that they quote unquote belong to us. They just see us as a fellow pack member. They have adopted us as their pack and all of us have different rankings within that pack, right? And so while we call our house a home, dogs just know that that's someplace that they live and that they are constrained to. They don't understand the concept of a house because 
naturally dogs roam as their way of living. And so they don't have like a really specific all the time. This is where they always come back to day after day, year after year, 24 seven. So it's a very unnatural and uh, unfamiliar thing for them. And so the next thing is, while we feel like we're providing dogs food and shelter and all of that, we feel like they should have gratitude towards us. However, there's a missing link in that because there's no action involved in the dogs getting the food. So in, in the wild, they would go and hunt for that food. So they don't have that gratitude that we feel like they should have towards us. And so we expect our dogs to have all of these manners to behave in certain ways and be obedient but all of those things are super unnatural for them and we can make it more natural through obedience training but even more so when we have a relationship and leadership established with them and so it's important to know that for dogs being pack animals they have they operate under a hierarchy and so they have all of us ranked within their mind of where we sit within that pack and for us to truly have a dog that can be well behaved well mannered obedient all these different things um we need to establish ourselves to them as their pack leader um and so if you want to ask any questions before we start delving any further into that I want to get right into it. I want to know how we can establish ourselves as the pack leader. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. So for dogs, it's obviously they are pack animals. They need to form some sort of pack. So if there was like a dog out in the wild, they could form a pack with animals that they would typically hunt for food. So with sheep or cows or anything like that, that's how much a dog is a pack animals. They're, they're super unique in that way that they can do that with a bunch of other animals. Um, and so for that, establish, establishing ourselves with a pack leader, doing just basic obedience is a really great way to start on that because training your dog and going through basic obedience, it requires a level of engagement and direct and intentional interaction with your dog. Most of us as dog owners, I feel like we kind of have them with us in a passive sense, right? They sleep in our house and we feed them. And, you know, sometimes we don't even take them on walks. They just go outside into the backyard and they lay at our feet throughout the day. And we never really have these set intentional engagement sessions with them. Like we're actually giving our time, giving our attention, we're providing them some sort of rules and structure and we're teaching them. We're helping them overcome obstacles, whether physically or mentally, whatever it may be. And so um, a couple of things to help with that, if you feel like you don't have a dog that's super motivated and engaged with you, maybe because there is a lack of a relationship, a lack of leadership, we need to start with doing things that are motivating intrinsically to them. So for example, keeping your training sessions fun, dogs are playful animals. So they're really motivated by movement. So keep moving whenever you're trying to engage with your dog. If you're you know, really bland and kind of boring, staying still in one area, a dog doesn't really want to engage with you. So when I'm doing relationship building games with my dogs, I try and keep it really fast paced and fun and a lot of movement. Um, a lot of times it looks kind of silly or, you know, childish and for other humans looking at other humans doing it, it it's going to look like it's a really 
funny looking, but it's really important to them because it activates their prey drive. Um, and it's very engaging for them to be um, interacting with us. We provide a source of entertainment for them. Another thing that we can do to increase our relationship and our leadership with our dog is to provide them with structure and guidelines. And this is the part that's really hard for humans because I feel like a lot of the time we kind of see our dogs as kind of our children and we baby them. A lot of people will literally refer to their dogs as their baby. And it's really difficult to discipline your dog when you think of them mentally as a, a small baby, as, as almost a human baby, but they're a canine and they instinctually really need some form of structure and rules and boundaries. And so easy ways to do that the number one way, in my opinion, is to go on a structured walk. This is something that you can't be distracted during a structured walk of what your dog is doing. You're communicating through the leash. You're holding them accountable for their actions. You're exploring new territory. Um, you're making it fun and engaging. You're helping them overcome obstacles, whether that be other people and dogs that approach loud noises, cars, there's a lot of triggers that happens outside. And so when you go on a structured walk, you're able to help your dog overcome all of these different things. And another thing is that just naturally dogs in the wild, they walk anywhere from like eight to 14 miles in a day. And during that walk, they have structure within their pack of where pack members go, um, where they walk within that pack. And so when we go on a structured walk with our dog, we want to be leading them through that. And so we can show through this activity of a structured walk that we're leading them, that we're in a leadership position, um, and then holding them accountable for not marking in territory that they're not supposed to be marking in, lunging and barking at other dogs. As a pack leader, you get to choose and you get to decide who we fight with, where we use the restroom, where we're going to sniff and explore all of these different things. And so I really enjoy the structured walk is one of the main ways to build a relationship with your dog. And for clarity, you know, a structured walk is basically just being present when you're walking your dog for the most part, if you're a beginner, at least it means you're not on your phone texting while you're walking them or trying to be on the phone. It means that you are actively paying attention to your dog and almost running them through drills the same way you would if you went to a basketball practice or any kind of sports practice, right? You're, you're not always going to go in there and just shoot free throws or shoot two pointers. Sometimes you're going to run drills. You're going to run plays. You're sometimes even going to do, you know, suicides and run up and down the court. So all it means is that you have a plan going into that walk with a specific intention. That's something other than the the standard walk that you see most people do, which is on their phone doing something while they're kind of letting their dog drag them all over the the uh, the road there. So I uh, just felt like it might be worth clarifying there. Yeah, definitely. And and when I say that we're holding our dogs accountable for their actions when we go on a structured walk, for me anyway, like I said, I I don't allow my dogs to pee mark wherever to expand their perceived territory because that can help add to reactivity issues if they have a perceived larger territory because they've had a lot of pee and scent marking. They don't lunge ahead. They don't go in front of me because I'm the one who is leading the walk. They don't go too far off to the left because that means that they're not intentionally engaged with me, right? They're sniffing something else. I want to be more important than whatever pee or poop or whatever it is on the ground somewhere else. I 
<laughs> think I'm much more entertaining than those smells over there. So I want to hold them accountable for that. Um, I don't want them to be distracted by other things. If there's something that scares them, I want to help work them through that. And that I think is the best way to help over to build a relationship with your dog is to help them overcome new obstacles when you're helping them overcome their fears and their anxieties when you're teaching them something new um you know if you start training your dog a lot you're going to see these times where it just almost clicks with your dog and they say oh this is how this trick is or this behavior is or this command is um and so providing that to your dog, anything that you have to have intentional engagement with them, that's going to be something that is going to build a relationship, build yourself as a leader in your dog's mind. Um, so hopefully that kind of gives a little bit of clarity into some of the beginning steps of how to build a relationship, be a leader in your dog's mind. There's definitely more that we can lean into when it comes to being a leader, when it uh, providing structure, rules and guidelines for your dog. Oh, I didn't know where. So some other ways of being a leader is someone that doesn't just do everything for fun, right? That's that's not what a leader does. A leader has these set rules that you need to abide by. And if you disobey those rules um, and if you try to push those boundaries, that there are going to be consequences. And a leader is going to be fair about how those consequences are set. They're going to be consistent um, they're going to still continue to motivate you, but they're going to make those guidelines very clear. So for me, easy ways to provide structure and some boundaries to your dog's life to position you as a leader. The number one thing, create your dog. I think that that is one of the most important things that we can do. Your dog needs to see the house. It's not their house it's your house. They have their own space and that space is their crate. And so if you cannot physically manage or see your dogs, then this means that they need to go into their crate. It's going to keep them safe. Um, for one thing, it's going to save you a lot of money if they get into the trash and eat chicken bones and they're going to have extensive surgery. If they start eating at your furniture or your clothes, you're going to get really frustrated um, and potentially do something that's going to damage the relationship with your dog by maybe punishing them unfairly because you're really upset in the moment that they ate your really expensive shoes. So create your dog um, at night, get them out of your bed. That's not a relationship that you need to have with your dog. Create them whenever you leave the house. So that way for safety reasons, but also it provides them a safety blanket. They don't have to worry about, you know, going potty inside or getting to things that they shouldn't. They know that they're in their crate and they're going to be totally fine when they're in there. Another thing is to work on their ma their manners or their boundaries. So for me, nothing is free in the dog's life. They need to work for their food. Um, they need to work for any sorts of freedoms that they have. So for example, for food at night, just asking your dog to do just something to work for their food. Maybe have them up on a climber, place command, and then set their food down, wait a couple seconds, and then release them. Just do something to have your dog work for their food. It teaches them to have these manners, to have impulse control, and they're looking to you for that guidance, for permission-based to have access to those resources. Um, for dogs, the pack leader is the one who has control over the resources. And so that's the same thing that we need to do for our dogs. Um, have a structured routine for your day. Your dog shouldn't have to be worried about 
am I going to be fed today? Am I going to be going out on a walk? When's the next time that I'm going to go potty? There should be kind of a rhythm and cadence to your dog's life for the average pet owner. Um, you know, being able to be fed in the morning, have in or being let out of the crate, going potty, being fed, going back into the crate, having set times that you go to the bathroom, like maybe around like noon and then another time around like five, you go for a long walk in the evening, you get fed dinner at around like eight or so. Having a rhythm and cadence to your dog's life, it provides them with that routine that they really need. And then also setting aside dedicated time to be engaged with them. I've talked a lot in the other pillars of dog training of taking the time that they eat their dinner and then just using that to work on obedience, work on new skills. Maybe when you go on a walk and they're really poor at their leash walking skills, using their dinner time during that walk and then teaching them how to choose better behaviors and rewarding them with their food. So, um, and then above all, just be fair to them. Uh, we talked about this in the clear communication, uh, pillar podcast that we just had before this one, but be fair to them in everything that we do. Don't expect them to perform behaviors or commands. If you haven't thoroughly taught it to them, don't ask for calm behavior. If you haven't drained pent up energy, um, if they get into things and you weren't physically watching or managing them, um, If they get into things because you weren't physically watching them or managing them, that's not their fault at all. That's completely your fault for not managing your dog correctly. Um, and then obviously advocate for your dog. So if you're out and about, don't let everyone come up to your dog. Don't let other dogs come up to your dog. Make sure that you are setting those rules and boundaries because once you place that responsibility on your dog's shoulders, they may make decisions that you deem as inappropriate, but they felt like they, but they felt like they had to set those boundaries for themselves. So advocate for them, set boundaries for them. So that way they don't have to do that. Whether it's with children, with adults, with other dogs, with other animals, with whatever it is, if they're uncomfortable with that, make space for them and handle those situations for them. Cause that's what a good leader does. Yeah, absolutely. And overall, you know, at some point, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you can resonate, but in points in our lives, we've all experienced having, being led by a great leader, hopefully, you know, and most oftentimes than not leadership is not about control or do as I say, it's all about empowering those within your charge to make good decisions and to empower them um, but that also comes with holding them accountable, you know, holding them accountable and making sure that you're expecting and, um, holding them to the best version of themselves, whether it's a person or a dog or really anything to be a good leader, you need to take the actions necessary to empower those people that are within your charge. And the same applies to dog training. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like that part of just being in empowering in a lot of that in dog training is letting the dog figure out things on their own and showing them that when they do a behavior that you don't want them to do, to say, okay, I see what you're doing in this situation. I understand why you're doing it in this situation. And I'm going to teach you a better way to cope with this situation. And then I'm going to hold you accountable now that I have shown you how to deal with this situation, whatever that may be. And so it's like I said, it's all about 
very direct engaged interaction with your dog it's not passive it's not just letting them kind of do whatever and just manage the outcome manage your dog it's being very intentional with them and, and having dedicated time to be engaged with them um i i feel like that's the the best way to build a relationship with your dog is just being engaged with them as much as possible and you know showing them how to do things and how not to do things yeah, ultimately, you want to be a good leader to your dog in order for them to be confident in the times that you're not necessarily around. You know, you want them to understand how to be themselves because you see it. You know, I, I remember growing up in a neighborhood where you'd see a dog tied up outside all day and it might look like the biggest hoss of a pit bull ever, but it's tied to a chain. And the reason it's barking and getting crazy is because it has no idea how to handle itself. It's had no leadership to determine what it's supposed to do when it sees someone walking by with a stroller or when it feels the pull on its neck from the chain. And so, all, you know, that's an extreme example. But all these things to say that leadership is extremely important because when you get a dog, you're taking responsibility of that creature. You're taking away its ability to go out in the woods and do all the things that it would inherently do. And so it's important for people to be accountable to making sure that they're a leader for their dog and making sure that they are giving their dog the best life possible when they've taken on that responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And something that you just said there um, is something that I really wanted to touch on is that when we teach our dogs these things, we give them ways to make better decisions on their own. So when we teach them to have impulse control, when we teach them how to overcome things that they're uncomfortable with, they can learn how to make these better decisions. So we don't have to constantly manage them all the time. They start to choose it for themselves because they know that they have the confidence and they're empowered to make the right decision. And so it makes your life so much easier as a dog owner. And then, you know, you'll see this sometimes, maybe if you're at home listening to this, you'll notice your dog will do some certain things. You know, you, for instance, uh, Atlas and Aurora will sometimes just get up on their climb and sit there because they want something from us and they know that that action is going to entail a reward. So, you know, there's certain things, uh, I think that's the point you're getting at, is that you'll start seeing some innate good decisions from them or seeing decisions that they make that respect you or your leadership um, because of that consistent practice. Um, now, one thing I kind of want to touch on that I think is interesting um, is kind of what you were saying about people really babying their pets, you know, really seeing them as a baby and, and sometimes a little bit too much. And uh, you have a term for that. What's that term again? Anthropomorphizing. 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 Say that five times fast yeah, or even once apparently. <laughs> um, but you know, that's essentially those times where we almost see our animals as humans. Um, at the end of the day, it's fun. Sometimes I know I like to, you know, joke around with my dogs too, but at the end of the day, it is extremely important to keep a level of awareness that focuses on the point that they are domesticated animals and that they have different genetics, different brains, different ways that they operate and think. And although we'd like to idealistically think that they can get in our bed and cuddle with us and that that matters to them, at the end of the day, 
um, that's going to be at the detriment of your leadership at some of these other things um, that ultimately will be more beneficial and actually genuinely increase the quality of your dog's life. You know, a lot of times the things we do as owners, we do them because they make us feel like better dog owners, but they aren't necessarily things that are good for our dogs. Um, you know, when you buy the fanciest collar or the fanciest leash or uh, outfit for your dog, those are things that make you feel like a better owner. Those are not things that genuinely enhance the quality of your dog's life. And most of all, I think if there's any point to take away from this, the thing that will enhance your dog's life the most that most people lack in is spending that present, active, intentional time with their dogs um, as opposed to doing it as another chore around the house, you know? Um, it's cute when they're puppies and stuff, you know, gosh, we'll give them all the time in the world. Um, but when they're older and they get a little smelly and they got crud all up in their eye, it's not as fun to be as intentionally engaged. Um, but those are the times where it's most important to take the helm as a leader and make sure that you are giving your dog, uh, and empowering them to be the best version of themselves, just as you would anyone else that you may be leading. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you really nailed it on the head there, like pretty accurately of how, most of the things that we do for our dogs and makes us feel good, but we completely and 100% miss the mark on the things that are intrinsically valuable to the dog to help them live a better life. You know, it, having your dog sleep in the bed with you, it feels good for you, but it damages the relationship in between you and the dog because for dogs, lower ranking pack members don't sleep with the higher ranking pack members, especially not the pack leader. They have their own place that they need to sleep. That's not a relationship that your dog should be in. So that's just one of the different examples. But I really love that of just making sure that you take that dedicated time and really understand your dog as a canine species and not seeing them as a baby. Excellent. And those are the five pillars of dog training. Recap it for us one more time. What, what are the five pillars of dog training? We have timing, motivation, consistency, clear communication, and now finally we have relationship and leadership. And those are the five pillars of dog training. Well, I think that's awesome. And with that being said, on Instagram Live, I know we have quite a lot of viewers hopping in and out of here. I'd love to get to some of the questions I see popping up on the screen. How are you all doing? Let's go back up to the top and start there. And let's answer some of these kind folks' questions. All right, so boom, boom, boom. Sumo the English Bulldog asks, how long can we leave our dog in a crate? Totally depends on the dog. I don't know anything about them, their level of training, how much exercise that they got in the day, how much time that they've spent in a crate. So it 100% depends on them. For me and our dogs, we crate our dogs so often and we've been doing it consistently all the time. Like even if we leave the house for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go to the store, dogs go into the crate. Yeah. And, and I guess to give you a more detailed answer on that, um, test it out, you know, just as you would anything else that you're curious about, um, put your dog in the crate. If they start acting up after 10 minutes, your cap is 10 minutes for that. Right. <laughs> and then you have to keep pushing that and pushing that. But at the same time, making sure that you, you act as a, as a proper leader and that you're fair to them and that you're not abusing the crate. Obviously, I don't think that's what most people uh, do, but, um, certainly it's a, it's a time to practice that level of leadership as well as consistency. All right. JF333 says, great point. 
I feel like a lot of people are against telling their dog no, going along with your point of people thinking of their dogs as babies. Absolutely. Thank you. I guess that's not a question, but we appreciate the positive response. Lady and underscore the dogs asks, how would you apply this to wanting to use a walk for exposure or would you recommend against using a walk for exposure? No, I think that a walk for exposure, a structured walk is a perfect way to expose your dog to new environments because once they learn what a structured walk is and the rules of the walk and you're going to hold them accountable to that, um, that when you go into these new environments, they're not going to be scared or hesitant in them because they know, okay, we're on a structured walk. All I need to do is I need to walk next to my owner on the left-hand side. I need to not be wandering away barking or lunging, anything. I just need to do these things and I'm going to be okay. It's a lot like going to the grocery store. When you go to the grocery store and you know exactly what you need to get, you get it. When you go to the grocery store and you don't know what you're going to get for dinner, you end up walking out with ice cream, tortillas, oatmeal, candy bars, uh, soda. Um, not not speaking from experience here, <laughs> of course, because we're, we're saints, but um, that's most people. No, just kidding. You know, it's just like going to the grocery store. When you, when you go with an intentionality um, or you go into the gym with a clear workout plan, you can execute on those things very precisely. It's no different for your dog. When they know and they have set rules when they're going into a situation, it doesn't matter all these things going on in the environment because they're hopefully still focused on the things that they are repetitively doing during that entire process. Um, all of the salty dog asks with a soft dog, what are some of your favorite exercises to build them up? Always looking for more ideas. Absolutely. My favorite thing to build up confidence, because I think that's probably what you're referring to when you say a soft dog is to practice the climb or the place command in new environments, because that means that you're not asking them to walk around and ignore all these triggers. You're literally just asking them to sit in one place where there's a lot of stuff going on that could be potentially triggering and just deal with it. Like you just want, you're just asking them to just stay in one spot and that's it. And over time <clears throat> they're going to learn, okay, all of these cars going by, it's not going to hurt me. These children going by, not going to hurt me men not going to hurt me, all these different things and just holding them accountable to just staying on a climb or a place command. And then <clears throat> besides working on a climb, just building up those new tricks that you work with them. So that way the level of engagement, um, they have more confidence in working with you because you've taught them how to communicate best with you. You guys get used to that communication. A Hubble 322 asks, at what age should you introduce a club? I believe she meant to ask climb or ask them to stay in one spot. Hmm, that's a tricky one because it really depends on the maturity and the mental capacity of the dog, how much training that they've already had, because there's definitely puppies out there that can do that at 10 to 14 weeks. But if you haven't worked on that engagement, you haven't worked on certain obedience, you don't have that clear communication set, you don't have that relationship or leadership, it can be more difficult. But I would say like you could probably teach a climb command 16 weeks, 16, 18 weeks for sure. Nara the doggo asks, is bulldog trainable? 100%. Yeah. It, dog training, it doesn't matter about the breed at all. They're trainable, but they do drool. They do. Sometimes they're stinky. They fart a lot in my experience with bulldogs. 
maybe a little TMI there. Well, that wraps up all of the questions from Instagram Live. One really cool thing I want to talk to everyone about is a really cool trip that Natalie, I, and both of the dogs are going to be taking over the next week or so. We're going to be going down to Sugarland, Texas to uh, work with a, a, um, a new client down in Texas. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be a special guest, um, that we're really, really excited to work with. And, um, in an attempt to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, we're going to be bringing Atlas and Aurora to practice exactly what Natalie's saying. You know, our dogs were not, they're not sport dogs. They're not protection dogs. They're just regular dogs that really honestly didn't get trained, um, for the first almost two years that we had them. And so, Basically, all the things that Natalie's talking about, trying these new environments, being a leader, getting them conditioned to the unknown, but still being firm in who they are and knowing how to act appropriately. Those are all things we're going to be, you know, really practicing and testing them on as we travel from North Carolina all the way down to Houston, which is about 18 hours in the car. It's going to be split over a few days with a lot of different states, new environments and places for them to climb, hold and see uh, during that duration of that trip. So it's going to be a really exciting time. And uh, we're obviously, as usual, going to record a lot of content around that, specifically video. I know before we were really in this business or even, you know, good owners really training our dogs ourselves. Um, you know, taking our dogs places was like the ultimate anxiety inducing stress inducing type of task that we could do. And, and it prevented us from doing all the things uh, as a couple or as a little mini family, um, that we'd like to. And so this is a really important thing, um, for everyone to, to practice, you know, especially if that's something that's holding you back or impinging upon the types of things that you're looking to do in your life, you know, being able to bring your dog somewhere and have the confidence to know that they're going to act appropriately and that they have a certain set of rules that they live and abide by and that they respect you as a leader is extremely empowering, not only for the dog, but for you as an owner. Um, and so we're really excited about that. And before we wrap up, we got Two more questions. Nara the doggo asks, what age can we start applying remote collar into training? Like I said, it really depends on the dog, the maturity level, you know, kind of where they are. I personally would not feel comfortable putting an e-collar on a dog like 20 weeks, like minimum. But even then, I feel like that would be like a sport dog maybe. So honestly, it really depends dog to dog. And that's something that I would do like an in-person evaluation. I would talk with the owners. I would ensure that they would be responsible. They would understand it, how to utilize it. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Mick IG bear asks, have you been to Tar Heel canine? The answer to that funny enough is something we were just talking about today. Uh, we have not been to Tar Heel canine, but we do plan to reach out soon and see if there's any way that we can be an asset to one another and collaborate. Um, that's something that Natalie and I, as we're building this business and ultimately this brand, um, we're really passionate about bringing value to other people and collaborating, um, especially using the skill sets that we have, obviously with just digital media, um, creating content, things like that. Um, really trying to be a part and valuable part of this this dog community as a whole. So with that being said, I want to wrap up the podcast here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining us on Instagram Live, special thank you for everyone that um, is engaging with us and participating in the comments. Um, if you want to check us out on Instagram, find us at canine underscore performance. You can obviously search this podcast at 
Canine Performance Podcast. You can visit our website at www.canineperformance.com. We're not sure what the next topic will be yet because we're just wrapping up this micro series, but we're going to have a ton of time in the car and maybe we'll just record a mobile podcast one day on the road because we have all the equipment to do so. Um, it's going to be an exciting time. Please keep up with us. Instagram, you'll see daily updates as we kind of go through this exciting journey. Um, hopefully another step in building this business to the next level. But until next time, this is Matt Hubble. And Natalie. From Canine Performance. And we will see you all in the next one.